In the 1990s, I was living in Clovis, New Mexico, USA. And I visited several church groups looking for a church group that I could meet with, that I, where I could gather with the church. I went to a small church, a small Assembly of God church, in Texaco, New Mexico, eight miles from Clovis. I had talked with the pastor beforehand. I thought maybe I could go to that church group. I walked inside the church building and immediately saw on hanging on the wall on the right-hand side of the auditorium a picture which is used by people to represent Jesus, a photograph. It's that long-haired man with the robes. I was shocked. This should not be hanging anywhere, really. This is not Jesus. It is an actor or someone portraying Jesus. It's a visual image and we worship God in spirit and in truth, says Jesus. John chapter 4. This is the type of abominations humans set up in their church buildings. And other humans or the congregation love it. It's fleshly churches. I never went back to that church group, although I did tell the pastor that they should remove that photograph. There are 47 references to graven images presented in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we have the John 4 passage where Jesus says, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4 is the story where Jesus is passing through Samaria. He stopped at a well to get a drink of water, and a Samarian woman came to the well to get water, and Jesus began talking to her. And in the conversation, she said to him, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she began asking him questions. Our father worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saying, saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit 
and in truth. In spirit, you're not going to be setting up displays to represent God or hanging crosses on yourself to show that you're godly. That is fleshly. That is not worshiping in spirit. You will identify yourself as being from God when you speak to another person things that God has told you. But to represent yourself with clothing or ornaments as being from God is an Old Testament way of life. It is not worshiping in spirit and in truth. In truth would mean we worship by setting up the church by the New Testament Bible. We worship by doing that which we see in the New Testament Bible. That's in truth. When you do that, you can be sure you're moving in truth if you have the Spirit of God. We worship God in spirit and in truth. So that's the first thing that I can tell you about church churches. You don't hang false photographs of Jesus on the wall of your church building to make your congregation think of Jesus. That is so false and hypocritical. And it is wrong. There are 47 examples in the Old Testament where God spoke of hating graven images, forbidding his people to set up graven images representing God. That's in the Old Testament. How much more do we have in the New Testament in the sense that Jesus paid for salvation and by his spirit who lives in us, we who are of God follow him. One time I was shocked that a Baptist woman called me and invited me to come to her house to see the memorial she had built for Jesus and she had put it on the bookshelf in her husband's library. He had died, so she had cleared off this space and built a memorial to Jesus. It had to be something that you saw with your natural eye. I knew immediately it was fleshly and not spiritual because if it's spiritual, you cannot see it with your natural eye. So I knew it couldn't be of God. I did not go, of course. That's what people try to do. They try to worship God in the flesh. We had a man in our church group who went to some kind of meeting and he came back just saying how absolutely wonderful the meeting was. He just raved about it. After hearing him say this several times, I began thinking, well, what was wonderful about the meeting? All he said is how wonderful it was. So I asked him, I said, well, what was so wonderful about the meeting? He said, oh, at the head table, they had three large crosses, wooden crosses, covered with flowers. I, I was very shocked that man's no longer in our church group. He was trying to worship God 
in the flesh, if you can see it with your natural eye, that's something man has set up. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, we have the New Testament Bible, and of course we can see that with our natural eye, but that is to instruct us in the ways of God so that we can go in a way that pleases God. We have instruction in the New Testament Bible concerning how to set up your church group. It is in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 through 40. The first thing Paul says is this, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together as the church, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. I saw something similar to that years ago on a Wednesday night at a church group. They had on Wednesday nights something that they called testimonials. It wasn't a planned meeting. You just simply met, and the pastor would say, who has a word from the Lord? And one man would rise and give a testimony, then another, and then another. And it was exciting. I loved it. It was not anything like what we see at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning at our churches. It was the Spirit of God showing the works of God. It wasn't something planned by men. So looking at this scripture again on how to set up the church, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm. Now a psalm is also a prayer. We remember in the book of Psalm, David said the prayers of David are ended. So a psalm might not be a song, but rather a prayer. It could be a hymn, but it's led by the Spirit of God. He has a doctrine, a doctrine such as marriage and remarriage. That would be an example of a doctrine. When can you remarry after divorce? That would be a doctrine for the church. Paul said he has a tongue. Now, there are supernatural gifts of tongues. And Paul is going to give instruction concerning tongues in the church in just a moment, about three verses down, two verses down. Or he could have a revelation. A revelation would be God opening your eyes to understand a scripture. For example, we are told in the last days that Jesus will not return except there come first a falling away in the churches. Now that is not people leaving the churches. That's the churches falling away from Scripture. This is a revelation from God that was revealed to me back in 1982 when I read that passage in Second Thessalonians 2. 
That's an example of a revelation. You read it and you it looks like one thing, but God opens your eyes to see it as another. Another thing revealed to me in 1980 in the 80s was uh, 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, it's Matthew 16, verse 13. Jesus came to them saying, Whom do ye say that I am? And one said Jeremiah, one said Elijah. He said, But whom do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, Thou art the living Christ. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, God revealed this to you, Peter. It wasn't flesh and blood. That is a revelation. And he says, Upon my and he said, Upon this will my church be built. He's meaning upon the word revealed from heaven to us, the church is built. The church are the individuals, by the way. Every time we have a revelation from God where he opens our eyes to see what a scripture means, that is what the church is built upon. So Paul said, a revelation can be shared, an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying, to building the church. Then Paul says in verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So if a tongue comes forth in the church gathering, it has to be interpreted because we wouldn't understand what it meant and we wouldn't know anything about it unless God gave an interpretation. Verse 29, let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another, that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and that all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. None of us have ever seen this done that I know of. Have you ever seen this done? I, I have seen little portions of it done in a Sunday school class, but never at the 11 o'clock service. See, this should be done in the church. When we go to church, we should be hearing from the Spirit of God, not from what man has come up with for us. We should be hearing by the Spirit of God. There are several gifts of the Holy Spirit. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, those are two of them. These are words that no one has any way of knowing about. For example, that person is sitting there with a stomachache. You have no way of knowing that person has a stomachache unless the Spirit of God shows you. 
And when the Spirit of God shows you someone has a stomach ache, and you say to the group, God is showing me someone has a stomach ache, that's a word of knowledge. I believe at that time the person can be healed. But what happens if there is no opening for you to present that word of knowledge? I've never seen an opening at 11 o'clock service at church where that could be presented. But in our Sunday school class at Word of Faith, our Bible teacher always said, during the class, does anyone have a word from the Lord? If you had a word, you were free to speak that word at that time. That is the decently in order way that the church should be operating, where the Holy Spirit is free to speak through whom he wills. But it is in an orderly way. It is not a confusing thing. Now, I went to a visited a little non-denominational church in Clovis, New Mexico, and pastor was teaching the Sunday school lesson. A woman jumped up in the middle of his teaching and said, Praise God, praise God, and, and flung her hands into the air. Then she began running all around the room, and then she sat back down, and everybody was so excited. The people in the room thought it was the Spirit of God. The pastor thought it was the Spirit of God. I was horrified. I would have stopped that immediately because I knew that was not the Spirit of God. Why? Because... All things must be done decently and in order, Paul says in this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 14. That is out of order. She interrupted the pastor. Women often interrupt the church service trying to ask questions, especially in the Bible classes. That is out of order. And when Paul talks about women keeping silent in the churches, as he's going to in one of these scriptures, I think he's talking about those women who interrupt the church service and are out of order asking questions. And that's the next thing he speaks about, verse 34. Paul said, let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now I think this is what they were doing, is these women were out of control asking questions. Let them, He said, let them if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. It shows they were doing something that was out of order. One time God said to me, look at what these women were doing when Paul commanded them not to speak. And I saw it immediately when I looked at the scripture. I could just see them asking questions. Well, and he said, if, they learn any, if you'll learn anything at home, if you will learn anything, ask your husbands at home. And if you don't have a husband, ask God. If, you, if you're in a meeting and you don't understand something, don't interrupt the meeting. Ask God at home. 
Then Paul said, What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it only unto you? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. And I certainly acknowledge that. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And that's how the church was supposed to be set up when we gather in the church. What difference does it make? It makes a huge difference. Because if you set it up the way it is today, and Jesus appeared in the congregation, even he would be unable to speak to us the way it's set up today. Because only approved men can speak. And it's got a little, a little, what do you call it, platform. And they sit on it, and often there's a railing to separate you from them. It's very controlled by men. It should be free for the Holy Spirit to speak through whom he wills in the gathering of the church. And then you would be hearing from God when you go to the church meeting. Many years ago, I had a dream where I went to a church meeting. It was a big church, had a balcony. It was completely filled. There were no chairs at all vacant on the lower floor. I went up into the balcony. There was one seat vacant in the balcony, and I sat down in that seat. It was behind kind of a support post, which was holding up the ceiling. A woman in front of me in the dream said, she turned to me and said, you can't see much from that seat. And I said, oh, there's never much to see in these places anyway. And there really isn't. Because man has planned the gathering of the church. First, you have all the music planned by man. It is playing often when you enter the church building. They are putting you in the mood. They are controlling you, entertaining you. And it seems very religious. But music that is really religious is from the heart. From the heart. And I think it's set up here where, where hymns are in order in the church, but not the way they're being done as controlling the audience, designed by man. I think this is very wrong. It should be something when we came together, the pastor or whomever's in charge of the meeting would say, does anyone have a word from the Lord? And one would say, I have a hymn. And they would start singing and everybody would join them. I think that would be of God. But to have music planned out as it is today, I just can't see it. I can't see it fitting the scriptures at all. Now let's talk about the ministers set up for the New Testament church by Jesus himself. The New Testament church began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when it started, after he arose. Ephesians chapter 4, 
When he, Jesus, ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Verse 11, And he, Jesus, gave some prophets, uh, some apostles, first apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Paul is one of those, given by Jesus after he arose. On the road to Damascus, Paul was out catching Christians to try to put them in bondage, sometimes to kill them, to bring them to the high priest. When Jesus revealed himself to Paul with a great light that was fallen from heaven, and then Jesus spoke to Paul and says, Why do you persecute me? And Paul said, Who art thou? And Jesus says, I am Jesus. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And at that point, Jesus put Paul into the ministry as an apostle. He was one of the first of the New Testament apostles appointed by God. Paul was not the last apostle. He was one of these described in Ephesians 4. When he ascended upon high, Jesus, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he, Jesus, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There are also elders and deacons given to the church, to the New Testament church. Titus chapter 1 verse 4, the apostle Paul says to Titus, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God and the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And then Paul gives the qualification an elder in the church must have. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless. We can see by this Paul is interchangeably using the word elder and bishop. That's because they are the same thing. An elder and a bishop are the same offices with the same qualifications. They are not different. You could call the person an elder. You could call the person a bishop. Either one is proper. But a bishop must be married. He must have faithful children and demonstrate this to the church that he is able to rule over the church. 
For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, to money, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have another reference to elders and qualification of elders or qualification of a bishop. 1 Timothy 3, this is a true saying. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop, then, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? See, we a, a elder bishop has to be the husband of one wife and have multiple children. You couldn't have a single man be an elder bishop, nor can you have a divorced man be an elder bishop. This just wouldn't work. At Word of Faith, our Bible teacher was an elder at Word of Faith. He was a divorced man with no wife. And one child, he had one child by his first wife. Well, he had not demonstrated at all that he could care for the church. Secondly, it was disclosed to me that he had a girlfriend when I questioned him about the girlfriend, and I point-blank asked him, are you having sex with this girlfriend? And he said, of course. He was having, he was committing fornication while being an elder and our Bible teacher. I said to him, well, you know the Bible as well as I do. 1 Corinthians 5 tells me I can't keep company with a brother in Christ who's a fornicator. So I can't come to your Bible class anymore. He said, that's right. He didn't care. Now that's the type of thing going on in today's churches. It should not be. It should not be permitted. If it's going on in your church, of course I would recommend you pray. I think you would have to leave that church. I don't think they will change. But you could go to the pastor and present it to the pastor. You could even present it to the pastor and elders if you wish to do so. But I don't think they'll change. I think they're antichrist when that happens. 
and all you can do is leave them. Well, back to this passage of Scripture in uh, 1 Timothy 3. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall in to the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. He must have a good report from those who are outside of the church group. There was a uh, Church of Christ elder that played bridge at the Bridge Center in Lubbock, Texas, when I was playing bridge. I one time said to the director, who's a Baptist, I said, I can't believe they let that man be an elder at the Church of Christ. And she said, well, I can't either. He was so hostile. He wasn't friendly to anybody. That would be the report that I would give on the man. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. That man died. He was old to begin with, but he died. And his wife died. Likewise must the deacons be grave. Now he's going to talk about deacons. Must likewise. Let's uh, look at that section. Likewise must the deacons be grave not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, and then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. When I moved to Clovis, New Mexico, a man who owned a concrete company did some work for me. He came into my apartment to visit with me. He tried to convince me that we needed, that God knew we needed to have sex and that we should have sex with each other. I went and got my Bible and read to him the passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, which says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he who committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. That Baptist deacon left my house. He never, I never saw him again. Later, I heard that he had been doing this with other women about town. He was a deacon in the Baptist church. This is terrible. More about deacons, 1 Timothy 3.12. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Is there any time a woman can speak in the gathering of the church? Here is what God took me to to show me the answer to that question. Acts 21 
And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and we abode with him. And the same man, Philip, had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Prophecy is for the church. These four daughters would have to be able to speak in order to prophesy to the church. I believe women can speak in the church when they have a word from the Lord to speak. I believe they can speak in the church when they have a word of wisdom from God or a word of knowledge from God. I have to say I believe they could speak when they had an exhortation when they had a revelation. I don't believe they can interrupt the gathering of the church in an unseemly manner. In the Old Testament, we have an example of Deborah. Deborah was a prophet. In the Old Testament, we did not have apostles. That's a New Testament term that Jesus brought to the church. When I read what Deborah did, I really see her doing the work of apostle prophet of both offices because Deborah sat under the palm tree of Deborah judging the nation of Israel. They came to her for judgment. It says... And Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Ladoph, Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah, Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. This is in the book of Judges chapter 4. And God gave her a word for the leader of the captain of the armies at that time. And he said, well, I will go fight. She told him to go fight this Sisera. She said, he said, I will do it if you'll go with me. And she said, I will go. So she went with him to battle. But the judging part is what God has shown me that apostles do. That what they do is they deal with doctrine. Marriage, divorce, remarriage after divorce. These are always subjects that come up with apostles. And they're always taking you to the Bible and showing you the scriptures on those subjects and setting you straight according to scriptures, comparing scripture with scripture so that you can know what God says. That's what apostles do. Yes, I think a woman can do both of those. That's what God has shown me that I'm called to do. Now let's talk about things that are not in the New Testament Bible that have been added to the church by men, for these are abominations in the house of call by the name of God. These are abominations. No man 
is called reverent in the New Testament Bible. No man is called reverent. Well, or in the Old Testament Bible either. There's one scripture referring to reverent, and it says, Holy and reverent is God's name. In the New Testament church, ministers are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or teachers. There are no ministers of music in the New Testament Bible. There's no such thing as pope or archbishop or cardinal. There's no special clothing worn by New Testament ministers to identify them as being ministers. They look just like everybody else. No robes, collars, hats, scarves, necklaces, no visual item identifies a man as being a minister in the New Testament Bible. It is the spirit inside that man and the gifts of God which identify ministers of Jesus to the New Testament church. When you speak the word given by God, it identifies you. When you do the work given by God, it identifies you. If a tree has apples hanging on it, we call it an apple tree. If it has peaches hanging on it, what do we call the tree? A peach tree. There's a big difference between apostle prophets and evangelists. A big difference between them. They don't look anything the same. And they are sent to different people. Apostles, prophets are sent to the church. Evangelists are sent to the unsaved. Concerning this thing of having some other human recommend us as a minister, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you, in order to speak to other people? Do we need these to show that we are ministers? And he said, no. He said, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. In other words, I work with a certain person, they listen to me, they speak, they are shown to be an epistle written by me by the Word of God. I don't have to bring you papers from a church group telling you that I am an apostle prophet. The work itself identifies what I am for those who are able to see. The work shows you. Do you see me correcting the church? 
all the time. Why? Why would I do that? That's what prophets do. They bring correction. That's the primary work of a prophet. If you read the Old Testament, you will have a very quick glimpse into the office of a prophet. And prophets are also listed in the New Testament. We have Agabus, two lists, two separate listings of Agabus talking to the church. You can find these in the book of Acts or just type the word Agabus into your search vehicle and it'll bring up the examples of Agabus working. Silas was a prophet. And we see in the book of Acts that Silas was a prophet. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul talks about Antichrist in the church. And Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come. Jesus will not return, except there come a falling away first. And that falling away was going to take place in the church. It was going to be churches falling away from Scripture. And when they did that, it allowed Antichrist to surface among them. So he said, The day of the Lord will not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The Antichrist comes into the church in the temple of God. It was not the governments of men. It's the church. And then Paul said in verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. They don't love the truth. I've had many church people that didn't care. They didn't care what about these scriptures at all. They just didn't care. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. These scriptures are written out for you in writing. You can see them on our blog. Go to Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Click on the right-hand side of the page where it says Podcast. Look up this broadcast. Every one of these scriptures will be written out for you. Again, the blog name is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.